0: The following podcast contains explicit language.
1: Welcome to Slate's I Have to Ask. I'm Isaac Chotner. My guest today is Zeynep Tufekci, a professor at the University of North Carolina School of Information and Library Science and an expert on the uses and abuses of social media. A couple of years ago, she wrote the book, Twitter and Tear Gas, The Power and Fragility of Network Protest. And more recently, she has been examining the ways that Facebook and other social media behemoths have left American society vulnerable to fake news, increased polarization, and a bunch of other bad things. Zenip joins me now on the phone. Where are you, Zenip?
0: I am actually in New York in the Stock Exchange Building.
1: Mm, all right. Well, thank you, for, uh, thank you for doing the show.
0: My pleasure.
1: I'm going to start with a broad question for you. What have we learned over the past six months about the role that social media is playing in our country? Uh, And I'm talking about negative things here that you feel like six months or a year ago, we did not know or did not understand the scale of.
0: I don't think we have anything novel going on in the past six months that we didn't have before. Um, so I'm not going to say that we had, there's been some new revelation. We have had more indictments, we've had more like little facts and figures, but I think the overall picture is pretty clear that we have a business model and a political polarization on the ground that are coming together to produce really disconcerting outcomes. And I think we knew that in 2016. We just kind of didn't accept it or talk about it. We knew that in 2017.
1: Okay. So if none of this stuff is particularly new, what is it specifically about the business model, especially of these companies, that leaves them open for some of the things that you've been writing and talking about that we should have understood a year and a half ago and uh, hopefully are coming to understand more? What, What specifically is it that you're so concerned about?
0: Right. So the first thing, first part is that if you have any kind of system where billions of people are uploading content, right, it's going to be a challenge. right. So um, very often they will respond to the criticisms of their business model with saying, what can you do at the scale? So it's true. It would have been a challenge under any business model. But what they have done is by being ad financed, they've created this dual problem. The first part of the problem is that the user is not the customer, right? So your attention is the product being sold, which misaligns your incentives, right? The company's incentives and the user's incentives are not necessarily the same here. They just want you to k- keep you on the site. And the second thing is they have, um, because advertisements on the internet aren't worth a lot unless the profiling is fairly precise. They work by collecting an enormous amount of data about you, and that data is used to create or promote, or highlight content that's supposed to be engaging. That's whatever catches you. And that data is also used to profile you. So I think this is terrible. I mean, this is like a dual whammy. What you have here is this enormous surveillance infrastructure. So the crappy ad networks can work. Ad technology is pretty terrible on the internet anyway. And also you have all this artificial intelligence and machine learning using churning through all this data, eating up this data to try to figure out how do I get people to sort of keep staying and keep clicking and kind of emotionally aroused, to be honest, because that's when you stay on the site. If you see something kind of middle of the road, slightly boring, you know, makes sense, but not much to say, you're not going to keep scrolling and scrolling. So we have a confluence of Big thorny problem anyway, transition to a new form of technological infrastructure, but we're doing it under terrible conditions.
1: If, if the problem is the business model um, in large part, which makes intuitive sense, um, that would imply to some degree that all these different social media companies are – facing the same types of problems. But I think one thing that a lot of people who follow the news and are not experts on the subject, like myself, have been thinking the last few months just reading news articles is that Facebook is kind of above and beyond worse than other companies. Do you think that that's accurate? And if so, why is that the case?
0: When you talk about all these social media companies, well, that's part of the problem. There are no all these many social media companies. There is Facebook, Twitter, and basically YouTube that we're talking about right? So there isn't that many of them to begin with. And I would say YouTube is such an underappreciated story, it is a hot mess, it is terrible and it is what young people go for information and they're fed, recommended a steady diet of terrible horrible conspiracy to outright to really hateful stuff around the world so I mean if I wanted to guess is Facebook versus YouTube better or worse it would really be a hard one for me you know Facebook is terrible in Facebooky ways and YouTube is terrible on YouTubey ways and Twitter has a whole other host of problems I don't think any of them are really sort of standouts and but what you just sort of ask me highlights the other problems that they're so centralized right so we have this tyranny of couple of emperors basically you know what Mark Zuckerberg decrees important for Facebook ends up being what drives the public sphere you know Facebook pivots the video, quote-unquote, which turns out to be somewhat faulty numbers. They got their numerator wrong, which is an insane kind of error to make, but I digress. And then we have all sorts of journals being fired and everybody's producing video, and then they'll pivot to something else. They've now decided groups are where it goes, so all the misinformation is going to go to groups. Like This is not a, a way to run our public sphere, and that's kind of sad that we're stuck in this narrow couple of companies and just sort of appealing to them.
1: What do you mean by the inf- the in- misinformation is going to go to groups? I don't I don't follow.
0: Well, so right now, Instagram, which is also owned by Facebook, which again speaks to the problem. Why was Facebook allowed to purchase Instagram? But there we are, uh, is considered by many people to be the nicer place. So they're kind of abandoning Facebook and going to Instagram. Well. Instagram is also being more and more integrated into Facebook. It now has an algorithm that sorts things for you. It's going to try to keep you on the site. And what's going to happen is you're going to see the same kind of attention gaming that you saw on Facebook come to Instagram. The kind of, you know, misinformation, disinformation networks, they'll just migrate there. Uh, what's Facebook now is highlighting groups. It's decided that it wants to help create communities or whatever. It's it just one of its pivots. So, a lot of group posts are being highlighted into um, people's feeds. So what's going to happen is you're going to have the same networks. They're going to figure out how to get people into groups. Maybe it'll be a group that's named, you know, Americans for Puppies and Apple Pie, something like that. And you'll get into that group, and there will be lots of puppies and apple pie. And then near an election, all of a sudden, you'll see that the Democrats are making apple pie out of puppies and that will be your feed and then Facebook will just keep promoting it because you know that's that's how it's going to work you cannot really solve this problem by pivoting within the business model we really need a fundamental remaking of how these things operate we would still have problems you know i keep saying this it's not like anybody's going to come and magically make a large technological transformation pain free but we have a lot more pain than we should have, I think, because of the way we're doing it.
1: Just in the last few months, both kind of in America and abroad, we've seen different varieties of fake news circulating on places like Facebook. In countries such as Myanmar, this has had really calamitous consequences where people have died, sort of riling up people to commit ethnic violence. Uh, We see this in in Brazil in an election where a There's been a lot of fake news and um, Brazil seems about to elect a complete lunatic as their their next leader. And then we see it here um, often with stuff that people laugh at, but is also, you know, conspiracy theories and things that are that are really bad when when Facebook is confronted with this stuff. They basically say they're on it. Um, They were looking into this, but they didn't know the full extent of it. They say it's very complicated. These algorithms are very complicated. Just figuring this stuff out is incredibly complicated, and they're working on it, and they're getting better every day. To what degree have you seen that they are getting better in some way? And if they are not getting better, why is it so complicated?
0: So a bunch of things there in that question. The first thing is, well, of course, they're getting better because we're starting from a very low baseline. Uh, on the question of Myanmar, they had been warned for years. And there's a recent report right now that uh, the government had basically created a fake news misinformation operation itself, hate speech, right? It was pushing misinformation and hate speech. And the report referred to Facebook as absentee landlord, right? That's the curse of scale. When you have 2 billion users and you got this little country and people are just sort of begging you to pay attention. And I remember being at a meeting with um, high-level people from Facebook along with people from Global Voices, which is a tiny little cash-strapped NGO. And Global Voices, the tiny little cash-strapped NGO, had more language capacity than Facebook, the half-a-trillion-dollar company. So that's part that's inexcusable. You know, with something like the Myanmar situation, the responsible course of action would have been for Facebook's executive team to wake up every morning and their first meeting being, what are we doing here uh, what's what's the latest step because it is a thorny problem. You have a government driven ethnic cleansing campaign, and you are the tool for spreading the hate speech so that I think they just terribly failed, and them finally sort of hiring a few more Burmese speakers. I mean to me, that's just pathetic, but We've kind of opened up with me saying I'm in the New York Stock Exchange. I do want to highlight one thing, um, which I think a lot of people in Silicon Valley feel bothered about, is like, why are you picking on us? Like, don't you see all the other stuff? And I think there they have a point. And let me just sort of say the point kind of clearly. What we are going through is a massive elite failure. Uh, the people who are running our world, they're basically running it to the ground. And if you just want to look at the United States, you can, I can, the financial crisis of 2008 and the Iraq war have been more damaging, the Iraq war to the region and the financial crisis to this country than I think most people have come to terms with uh, in, you know, sort of the well-off places or even the chattering classes. Uh, It's just the kind of, yeah, you know, well, I'm I'm in the stock stock exchange, and you wouldn't have known that this place had uh, helped cause uh, about a quarter of the households in this country to experience terrible insecurity and job loss, and it's still reverberating. And nobody paid a real price. So you have elite failure across the board globally. You have it in Brazil. You have it in um, Europe. You have it in so many places where. Uh, institutions that were supposed to balance this stuff out have been captured. Um, You have tax bases just in tax havens. It's, It's this global conspiracy, if you will, of corruption. Like we have massive global corruption, and it's across the board, it's across the political spectrum, and it's across all these countries. This is why we cannot easily address the fake news and misinformation in Brazil problem. I mean, I think Facebook's role in this is to create, it's pouring gasoline onto a fire. So Facebook's role has been terrible. But the reason that people are willing to believe all these things is that I think there's this general feeling that their governments are failing, that their governments aren't working for it, that there's no accountability. So we've got this confluence of institutional failure mixing with a transition in your public sphere. It's kind of like the Catholic Church going down with the printing press coming up. I mean, I really feel like, historically speaking, we are at a conjunction like that. And it doesn't have to be like that, because unlike the Middle Ages, we have a lot of tools and we have a lot of wealth. And this is why it kills me that we're not taking a lot of straightforward, simple stuff that we could do to address the technology side. And there's a lot of straightforward stuff that sort of the global elites could do while still remaining so powerful and wealthy, that's not being done. It's, it's this historic frustrating moment to see Silicon Valley, the new elites, come together with just on top of the failure of the old elites and kind of run things to the ground, to be honest.
1: Right, so then what, what could those elites to start at Facebook, for instance, do that they're not doing?
0: I mean, I think if you want to talk about the Silicon Valley part, um, the best thing they could do is figure out how to change their business model to align their interests with the interests of the users and the public sphere. Take Google search, right? Uh, It's still a monopoly, and that has its downsides, and Google's making all that money. And so just leave that aside for a second. When you search for something, Google's interests aren't to feed you misinformation or keep you on the site forever. All right, so you go something, it tries to show you stuff, and then you click away. There, your interest in Google interest is a lot more aligned than, say, when you go to YouTube and you watch something and three autoplays later, you're in the moon landing never happened land. It's the same company, right? It's the same company. They've got the same AI people. They've got the Google brain people. But in one part of it, the business model and the user interest and the public interest are somewhat aligned. And you get good results. They even got rid of the content farms on all the places that were really polluting Google search. And they took a bit of a financial hit briefly, but it made Google even stronger. If anything, it made it a stronger monopoly, which, again, another question. Uh, So it just shows you how significant it is when how you make your money interacts with how you do things. If you change the business model, then you could have a setting in which... The interests of the public are prioritized. We could have all sorts of different kinds of algorithms, not just these ones. We could have a lot more user choice. We could have uh, right now, because of um, sort of profitability concerns, they have very little staff. I mean, Facebook is was just 20,000 last year, I believe, and it's try- trying to hire, but it's still a tiny, tiny company.
1: Let me ask you this, though. if If Facebook and these companies are going to keep the business model that they have right now... Mm-hmm. And they're not going to do anything about it with it with under that paradigm or under those constraints, whatever however you want to phrase it, how capable are they of solving some of these problems that you've been writing about? If you were running Facebook instead of Mark Zuckerberg tomorrow, how good a job do you think you could do on fake news, whether in Myanmar or in the United States, if you had you know if you were running the company and you had a couple of years to work on this problem, but you were keeping the same business model
0: so The first thing I would do would be to make things a lot more frictiony. And that wouldn't please, like that would not be great for my stock price because it would just bring down sort of monthly usage numbers probably. Uh, The problem with Facebook is they keep trying to solve everything within themselves by making themselves somehow better or more relevant or do the right thing. Whereas sometimes the reality is, some of the best interests of the users are not to be on Facebook forever, right? It's to sort of say, all right, you know, here's some information. Here's some connection with your friends. Here's a few updates from um, a few things. And here's some more credible news sources. And off Facebook you go, right? Right now, it's just too easy to share. It's too easy to click. It's too easy to find endless, nice, interesting, outrageous cute, this and that. Like I would, if I ran the place, and Mark Zuckerberg has controlling stock, so he doesn't have to care about the stock price, um, and all these other companies, I would actually not make them so good at what they do, and just bring down the speed at which things spread, and uh, find ways to sort, I would make a default saying, uh, please highlight, you know, make a list of Across the political spectrum, uh, news sources, credible sources, and you can just sort of ask the user, We're going to highlight these. Is this okay with you? If somebody wants to go find something else, by no means am I advocating censorship. But you could have a bunch of defaults that are good for the user, good for the public sphere, and you could go from there. Uh, A lot of that, though, would make people stay less on the site. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I want, like, it's like Google search. I want to find what I want to find. And I want to be off it. On Facebook, uh, which I use, I want to connect with a few friends. I want to see some announcements of, you know, whatever engagement babies. I want to be, and I'll click on like, like everybody else does. And I just want to be off the site. Once, what happens instead is that, it, the, the, the site is almost like trying to drag me back into it and like, how about this? How about this? And there's all these tricks and and if you try to deactivate Facebook, it says, what well, your friends will miss you and there's this big notices and red pings and this and like don't try to suck me in. Let me get something out of this place and go. And that's why I keep coming back to the business model. That's what's driving them. Plus, their ideology that they have to fix this.
1: Right. No, I get that, and that 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 makes sense to me. I guess what I'm trying to understand, though, is that I'm trying to understand, given that Facebook doesn't want that, and given that they have the business model they do, and given as you said, some of the changes you would make if you were running Facebook would do things to crash the company's stock price. Are there anything? Is there anything that Facebook can do without crashing their company stock price? Because I don't think Mark Zuckerberg wants to crash his company stock price where we could really mitigate some of these problems if there was more will. Or maybe the way to phrase it is, is the reason these things are not getting fixed because they can't figure out how to fix them or because they just don't give a shit or because they care more about their stock price? You know, that's sort of what I'm wondering.
0: It's all of it. They obviously care about their stock price, which limits some of their options. Uh, They care about they're just wedded to their business models, which limits some of their options. There's also the fact that the company, I, I don't know if you've been to the Facebook campus, it's its like Disneyland. Uh, you know, there are people on skateboards and there's hamburgers and pizza everywhere. Um, it's like somebody took a teenage boy uh, paradise uh, imagery and just recreated the place. It's a super happy place. And I think that's a terrible place to run the public sphere for a couple of billion people. Uh, to be honest, because you feel good, right? It's great, and you don't really imagine all the things that are happening. I think that's, again, the problem of scale, right? When people were begging them about Myanmar, Burma, and people were begging them for years. Uh, I first came across this in 2013, and I I also told them, and lots of people went to them as far back as then. It just seems so far away, like it's these little places, and they're just little dots in your servers. And you don't really understand. And a lot of these people are young, and they're making great salaries. They're working in one of the most exciting companies in the world. So there's a lot of ideological blindness in Silicon Valley, partly because it is, you know, such a well off place. And the companies are so cheery and nice places to work. You don't really, it's hard to comprehend the gravity of what you're messing with. To be honest, which is uh, people 's information flows and social interaction, so the ideological blinders are there now. If you also had no ideological blinders, it still would be a hard problem on especially under this business model because you know you have billions of people uploading content. but again, I think um, why not let the stock price go down a little? You know the company would be super fine. If it wasn't worth half a trillion dollars in the market, uh, everybody working there would be totally fine. They would be you know, better off than almost all of humanity. And we'd just have a better product. The chasing the stock price has been terrible for Wall Street. I and mean, look at Twitter's bot problem. It took so long, partly because they didn't want to bring down their monthly active users and because that's what wall street wanted to see which is a stupid number to chase anyway so wall street's chasing a stupid number and twitter stock price is chasing that stupid wall street uh, obsession and then we're dealt with a bladed bot purge finally but it should have happened years ago so there's a way in which all these things are kind of coming together and incentivizing terriblest path right we don't it's 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 a pity because um, there's, for example, if you sort of want to go more on this route, uh, there are now very interesting technical developments in the encryption space that allow you to do some of this um, machine learning stuff locally and then add the insights without having people's personal data. Uh, partially homomorphic encryption is one uh Interesting thing that's happening. So, you could have a lot of this sort of personalization on your phone and interesting stuff that you can do with your phone that I don't want to give up either without having, say, Google be your overlord and having all this insight into your life and Facebook being your data overlord. And it's technologically interesting. And there are people in these companies chomping at the bit, right? They're people because what they're doing is boring technically and you have these really interesting ways of doing this but nobody's investing in it because they're minting money with their current model which is take everybody's data harvest 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 throw it against the machine learning wall get insights sell to advertisers so what the they've kind of we've cornered ourselves into a non-optimal place. And if we can kind of get out of here, there are really interesting innovative spaces, business spaces, technical spaces that would be more fun. The companies would be very wealthy. The people working there would be perfectly fine. And we wouldn't be discussing um, this problem because surely, you know, 2013, Facebook could have hired hundreds of Burmese speakers and just not be an absentee landlord, as the recent, just this week's report called it, and let misinformation be so um, both vicious and viral in the country. It's, terrible things still might have happened, but at least it wouldn't be through their tool. There's been some complaints
1: among conservatives that uh, social media is biased against them, and Facebook and Twitter are all run by liberals who want to brainwash. Their users, etc. At the same time, um, especially in the last few months, there's been a lot of reporting that, among about major news stories, that when you go and look at kind of the top ten articles on Facebook, that um, you know about um, about this caravan from Central America, about issues with Judge Kavanaugh, whatever the issue of the day happens to be, that it's almost all coming from right wing sites. Um, I would not say sites that are deemed fake news in the sense of You know, it's not Alex Jones. It's more like Fox News and Breitbart um, halfway there, perhaps. I'm wondering why that is the case. And uh, if that that issue or problem, if you indeed think it's a problem, is getting worse.
0: Facebook and YouTube have been great for uh, what used to be the fringe part of the conservatives and now is taking over it, partly thanks to Facebook and YouTube. It's just been great for them. It's been better for them than anything. It's been better for them than Fox News, which is also a player in this. And the reason you're kind of seeing now Fox News in the play is that before the election, too, Fox News found itself competing with Breitbart. So a lot of people will say, you know, what if you never get on the Internet? Doesn't, like, doesn't Fox News more influential? Well, I'm like, even if if you're, you know, just imagine you're, Stereotypical Fox News viewer, uh, elderly white guy, retired, not on the internet at all. But Fox News is competing for eyeballs in the digital space with Breitbart. So to compete with Breitbart, Fox News also ups the crazy. And Breitbart is competing with Alex Jones. So Breitbart is upping uh, its own fringe stuff and what it's going to report on. So you have this ideological slanting across the conservative board towards its own fringe, and you see it sort of going more and more and more in fringe, and no tool has been more crucial, I think, to this process than Facebook and YouTube combined. Now, also on the other hand, uh, these sort of networks have been very ahead of the curve in populating the space with content, right? Uh, so if you don't really have a lot of content on something uh the space gets um populated quite m- more easily uh and the a lot of alt right so called alt right and the sort of the across the world have flocked to these places and conspiracy theories are really interesting right if i mean look at how much attention people will still pay to killed Kennedy, uh, even though it's now been solved. It's Ted Cruz's dad, apparently. Uh, the amount of... It's because a conspiracy is like this puzzle. It appeals to your brain. It's like, oh, let me sort of figure this out. And the right-wing, sort of the conservative fringe has been super on top of this. And they kind of had this back and forth with the audience. And the more they do it and the more they succeed, the more traditional conservative base and conservative media has kind of shifted towards them because that's where people are going. So it's a really good example of how the fact that Silicon Valley is mostly liberal, which is true, is irrelevant to the way their tool functions because their tool doesn't function by just reading what's in Mark Zuckerberg's heart. The tool functions by the business model and the artificial intelligence that's deployed to make that business model profitable. And that doesn't really care about what's in either Jack Dorsey's or Mark Zuckerberg's heart and whatever they think personally is important in the margins, perhaps, but not really. Uh, If anything, they've been really wary of being labeled as anti-conservative because they themselves are not conservative. So if anything, they're bending over backwards to accommodate... What I think is just a attempt to play the referees. the anti-conservative bias isn't true. If anybody has a right to complain about this, I would say what is called the never-Trump conservatives, which are these like not a very big politically relevant group, like more the inside-the-beltway traditional movement conservatives, the algorithms of social media have sidelined them. In favor because they write longer policy stuff and they have their own agenda in favor of the more fringe side of it and so if anybody wants to complain to Facebook about what kind of conservatives get there, I think those are the only people that maybe have a case other than that the the ones actually complaining they're just trying to pressure Facebook and YouTube and Google so they don't do anything about the apparent biases that are if anything pro fringe on the sites.
1: What could people in Washington? be doing to fix some of these problems, and um, how should these companies be regulated in ways that they're not being regulated right now?
0: Right now, I'm actually thinking a lot about the artificial intelligence space and what's going on there uh, outside of Silicon Valley. And increasingly, I think we need to really bring down a draconian ban on data collection. I mean, just basically make it illegal to collect and store data, unless there's a very good reason to collect and store it. Absolutely, make it not okay to merge data sets. Uh, make it possible for people to ask for data to be deleted uh, in really strong ways. Because part of the big problem we face is that we already got, you know, the public sphere problems, the Facebooks and the YouTubes of the world, which you're talking about. But it's merging with this enormous surveillance infrastructure, which is merging with artificial intelligence that can do all sorts of things about people um, in terms of social control and authoritarianism. That is quite scary to me. And it's moving really fast outside of Silicon Valley, while we're all mad at Facebook and Google and YouTube and Twitter, which we should be mad at them, there's all this other stuff going on too. So if I just could like have a magic wand and pass a global legislation, I would say, all right, no more data. And that would bring a screeching halt to harmful business models. It would slow down some of the bad uses of AI, scary use of artificial intelligence I'm seeing. And then it would give us some breathing space because what would happen is we would have new kinds of AI that work to, I don't think we would lose all the functionality. I think we would gain back the ability to do a lot of the things, the conveniences we like about the digital world. Uh, There'd be some real innovation. There's so much innovation that's left on the cutting floor because why bother when you can just do things easily? And it would also force these companies into new business models. It would stop the sort of surveillance infrastructure that's just I call it surveillance authoritarianism it's going to it's going to really start threatening us in ways that you know Facebook and YouTube are just sort of rounding errors to all the things that are possible Um, so that's my sort of like not plausible maybe in the sense that it doesn't look likely right now but you know what it takes just a few wave elections in Europe and US to change the political mood completely And I think in retrospect, like not in sort of of our future selves, they're going to turn back at this point when we let all this data about all of us be collected and merged and sold and traded. Like the time where they would, in Turkey, when I was a kid, they would wash kids in DDT. If there's a lice epidemic, they would just dip the kids in DDT, right? This is insane, of course. It's like terrible, uh, strong, potent pesticide. You should never do it. But people didn't really know better, right? You know, here's a tool, kills the lice, and they would do it. And DDT, they would just use like a household cleaner or shampoo. Um, there's... That, there was a phase in our world where we, you know, people chain smoked, uh, even c- claiming it was for health. There was all these things we did. When we look back, we're like, "How on earth did we do this? How on earth did we let things get to this point?" And I think we're there with, "How on earth do we let so much of our data be collected and surveilled and merged and traded like this?" It's not—it's terrible in so many implications, especially with machine intelligence coming down the way, and. There's a lot of stuff that needs to be done on the AI side in terms of legislating the use cases, the limits and all of that. But right now, the one thing that could stop and slow everything would be a draconian, proper, good ban on data collection outside of positive use cases rather than the current default in which it's collected and good luck doing anything about it.
1: And what about treating these companies as monopolies that need to be broken up in some way?
0: So the fact that they're monopolies, pretty true. But you have to be careful, right? Uh, after I said all of this, I have lots of friends on Facebook. I have lots of friends at Google. And very often I find a lot of good people struggling to try to figure stuff out and holding back. Like the kind of these terrible uses of AI that I just talked about they, they're holding back on stuff. That's what I mean. There's so much worse things they could do. So if you break up Facebook without changing the data collection or data use or AI use regulations, what you could end up is five competing horrible mini-Facebooks, right? Imagine Facebook without uh, somebody who controls the voting stake and can can say, well, you know what? I'm going to do things a little better. Like Imagine five competing Facebooks with nothing to bar them from a race to the bottom or five competing YouTubes. I would actually be worse. So while I think antitrust is important, I think if it came first without fixing the data use, AI use, data collection stuff, I feel like it would get us to a worse place because still silicon valley listens to critics and tries a little bit of sort of a broken up version of it just competing version of it might not even care and might do so much more terrible stuff with it i mean in at the end of the day we still have companies that feel bad when they don't do the right thing and that's not a given like there's no reason we're You and I and all of us, to be honest, we're just mosquitoes to them if they decide we're just mosquitoes to them, you know, like little pesky things. So what you need first, I think, is real legislation with tooth about the practices. And if that came along with decentralization, that would be fine. But I feel like if we sort of worked on the data part of this first there would have to there would be more competition because all of a sudden they couldn't just do what they're doing as as is. So that would be a big shift to begin with.
1: Zainab Tufekci is the author of Twitter and Tear Gas, the power and fragility of network protest. She also writes occasionally for The New York Times and uh, tweets a lot about all of these issues that we were discussing today. Zainab, thanks for making the time and uh, doing the
0: podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.
1: And that's our show for today. I Have to Ask is produced by Max Jacobs. Our theme music was composed by Doug Chase. Special thanks to Topher Ruth at Northgate Studios here in Berkeley. If you have an idea for a guest or you just want to let me know your thoughts, email me at, ask at slate.com. That's A-S-K at slate.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at iChotner for information about the show.